Oh, good morning and welcome <laughs> to your daily game face. I'm Dr. Kim Land and I'm firing Lou right yep. now. Yep. Okay. What are you doing? We're late and you ended the broadcast. Then you started it. I can't see anything. And my microphone, you're yelling at me. I'm not yelling at you. You were yelling. Oh, I can hear All you. those other things are right, but I'm not yelling at you. Well, you told me to move my microphone. I did because it wasn't close enough. Well, it really doesn't matter because look at the screen. It's a big cluster. I can send you. Um, oh, I don't care. Whatever. I'm going to send you can the link. Can people actually see me? should learn how to do it. They can see you. You oh, just can't see. Oh, thank God. I hope I look okay. Thanks a lot, Lou. So anyway, so to complain about Lou this morning. Lou went to start the Do show. Do you want to get up and start? I can come in and get you started if you want. And, if you want to see it. And no, I don't care. Or you can do it if you want to see it. No, I don't need to see myself. I'm okay. good. I just want to make sure people can see if they were watching. Yes, they can see. <sighs> fired. <laughs> Cam says hi. Hi, Cameron. Lou's fired today, Cameron. Cameron, I could come Cameron? train Cameron. What? I could train Cameron. Cameron actually is very good with computers, and Excellent. he would know probably what you're talking about, and probably. Wouldn't have made the mistake. Probably I just wouldn't made. have made the mistake I just made. <laughs> and Cameron's currently in school and supposed to be paying attention to what he's doing, and he's listening to. The he podcast. says hi from school. So. Yes, there we go. Yeah. Hi from school, Cameron. <laughs> I'm sure you're in a class that you're supposed to be paying attention to. Great. They, anyway, they give him phones in school still. You can. Oh, have your phone. are you kidding me? Yeah. It's crazy. I I couldn't wear anything above my knee, and now you get to have a phone all day. <laughs> You know, Catholic school, the public school with phones. There we go. You can do anything. You can leave school. You can go to McDonald's. You can go to 7-Eleven. You can buy a cell. I mean, it. Oh, I did that anyway. But, well, yeah. yeah, but you weren't supposed to. Now they don't yeah. care. Yeah. They just say whatever. <laughs> it's one of those things. So anyway, now that I fired you today. Yeah. How's your, how's your weekend? <laughs> and nice text to me yesterday. Lou did not. <laughs> I will not repeat what Lou texted me yesterday in verbatim. But Lou's text to me yesterday was quite entertaining. I, I looked to, at my list of texts. I go, I so don't want to spoil this. I had, <laughs> I had, I had to do a double take on the text because I was like, what? Anyway, Lou wasn't sure what was going on today and um, seemed confused, but that was okay. No, it's called confirmation. It's called doing my job. Unlike what you were doing Just making morning. sure I didn't make a mistake like I did at the beginning of the show. <laughs> It's like you made up for it today. Yeah, exactly. Yes, you were confirming that I was going to be here today. And the way that you did it was quite entertaining on my text yesterday. Well, and I'm saving that because I thought it was quite humorous. But like I said, I scrolled down to your text and I said, oh, I'm going to ruin this now. This is, I can't have it. I just like this. Yep, yep. There we go. Yep. So anyways, so just so everyone knows, I will not be live next week because I will not be here. Mm -hmm. And I will not be able to be contacted Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Good thing, right? I have no fax, no email, no texting, no phone. Don't even try. If you have a clinical emergency, please go to your local emergency room because it's not going to be me from this Friday to the following Monday. How liber liberating is that? It is lovely. Yeah. It is very lovely. And I will have no problem shutting that off. Thank you very much. And although Cameron probably who's listening is like, wait, what? How come I can't get a hold of you? <laughs> He's going to be like, wait a second. I can't get a hold of you for that long. So nonetheless. While we're on the subject, April 6th, that yeah. week, we're going to have to do a different time. Oh, well, that's good to let's talk about that. Not now. Yeah. Just speaking, while we're talking about scheduling changes. Speaking of April. 
the Boston Marathon. Oh God, yeah, really. The Boston Marathon is coming. Oh, you, you're double, triple dog fired today. Mm-hmm. Oh, the attitude. It's yeah. September, isn't it? No, no, September. Okay, get with the program. Okay, sir. yep. The Boston Marathon is traditionally always run on Patriots Day, right. which is in April. April. Yeah. However, because of the pandemic. Two years ago, we had to do it virtually, which was lovely. Remember, that's when I ran in circles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I ran in circles for 26 miles. Yeah. And then last year, it didn't happen in April because the pandemic was still a problem. So they did it in September, which was glorious. Right. In terms of weather, I didn't have the best race, but nonetheless, it was a glorious day. And um, and so it's gone back to on schedule, which is April. Yeah. So. We are back on schedule starting this April, and I'm running for the New England Patriots again, who I love. They're my favorite charity, and I'm doing a very cool thing that you can put up at any point that I can give you a little icon, but um, I'm running a fantastic giveaway to help support because I have to raise money, and I have a short seven weeks to do it, and it's $40 a chance, but at the end of it, there's only 240 tickets. And it's $40 a chance. So you could buy five and, you know, spend $200, have five chances to win your choice of just the machine itself. So you either get to pick your Peloton of your choice, wow. the bike or the treadmill, or if you don't want either, cause you don't want to work out because some people just don't work out. You have the choice of taking the $2,500 cash oh. or giving it back to me. <laughs> notice i throw oh, that yeah, in there yeah but nonetheless well, you it's know, an option yeah it is an option i have yeah. to throw it in you know because it goes back to the charity so so forty dollars a chance i have raffle or giveaway tickets mm-hmm. not raffle tickets because that's not what we use for terminology but okay. giveaway tickets um there's only 240 so i'm selling them so if you would like one which you all do want <laughs> multiples and you definitely do Lou. i do yeah. you definitely want to buy a peloton or your girlfriend okay yeah okay or not or you want $2,500 so you can go to your favorite place that you love that I go to up in New Hampshire after this morning I'm buying at least two okay there we go (laughs) um and and they're in the car so I'll go get them (laughs) so um but you uh it's a fantastic thing because one it's always for a great charity it's a we're we're a big feeder charity so the New England Patriots gives back to um 26 community charities and I know I say this all the time I'm big on tithing back into the earth and the world and giving back so we pick 26 charities a year from New England Mm -hmm. um that qualify out of usually two or three hundred that apply and then each of the charities for whatever they do um and it's a range every year it's a little different you know it could be from domestic violence to animals to children to right. um go, you know women in work and you name it it's something and they're usually fantastic great programs um and uh and we give ten thousand dollars to each winner and then the grand prize winner gets uh twenty five thousand and um it's fantastic and we nice. have a big um Myra Craft uh, MVP awards luncheon banquet down at Gillette Stadium and all the people come and it's just a fantastic thing but all of the hard work and effort I do every year to raise money for the New England Patriots goes to um funding uh these fantastic community resources that we have that are even local to us here in the area where we are in our studio I mean we've had in the past couple of years some winners mm-hmm. that are here that 
um, there's a wonderful program that does a golf tournament and then a golf program for veterans. Um, and then there's another one that's just for helping women and children uh, just get like their home set up. So they give them all their basic needs of, you know, like everything that would set up a house because they're all donated in. Yep. Um, so we give, so it just depends on the stories and the, and and their backgrounds and what they're looking for and how they put themselves out there. It could be a brand new charity. It could be something that's been around for 20 years, but I encourage anyone to also go, if you are a charity and you're listening, go on to the new England Patriots foundation online and you can find the link to apply uh, to be considered one of the charities for um, the 10,000 or the $25,000 um, uh, prize. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you just fill it out and or nominate someone and, and it's really great. I've nominated people before and they've sometimes made it in and sometimes not because we have so many people that are deserving and want, and there's so many good charities out there. So certainly, uh, but in the meantime, I'm the charity of the day because <laughs> I am running for the new England Patriots. And so I, Oh, that's what I was gonna say. The, the payment, if you want to pay me, um, you can pay me on Venmo. Um, cause it has to go directly to me specifically. And then I can send you the ticket stub and it has the 501c3 information if you need it for your taxes. Um, cause it goes directly to that, but you can Venmo me at Kim Lannon. Please do not Venmo me and say like, it's uh, for something business wise. Cause we know the taxing it's actually, you have to put gift charity, New England Patriots foundation yep. or something like that. So it references it so that I don't get taxed on it. Thank you very <laughs> much. <laughs> or if you see me in person, you can give it to me. So it's $40 a ticket and, um, they're all numbered and uh, I will be happy to send them out to you or do whatever. But um, yeah, so $2,500 cash or a Peloton of your choice. <laughs> in not including people keep asking, is it with the membership? No, it is not with the membership. You don't the get membership a... is something that you can get yourself. The membership is extra with Peloton? Me- membership is you have the basic package and then there's a premium package. And I believe the packages are like $30 a month or you can get the yearly for some prorated rate. But you're getting a $2,500 machine for yeah. free. Or for forty bucks, or you know, two hundred right. or five hundred dollars, whatever you put in, but you're getting it essentially, and then you just have to pony up the, and you actually don't have to buy the program. You can do a, a trial program that gives you just the basic, from what I hear, and it's free. No, so it's kind of the basics. Yeah, so you don't get all the extra bling with it. It's a little too the whole Peloton thing seems a little too upbeat for me. Oh geez, there you go. <laughs> I'm glad I couldn't just see my face because I did the eye roll. Remember I said the yeah. eye roll is indicative of personality yes. disorders. Yes. <laughs> I remember. So apparently I just I'm not good on group workouts. Personality disorder. What? I'm not good on group workouts. Okay, it's not a group workout. Go work what out are you there. talking about? Well, Peloton, you're on with the guy and you're competing with other people, right? Other okay, woman. That okay. Well, that's okay. You don't have to do that. Yeah. You can just put on like the Boston Marathon, for instance, you can put the Boston Marathon on your screen and you can run the Boston Marathon with the people. And did you know that on the, this is a little fun fact, a couple of years ago, I was running with the woman who was taping oh, really? for the iFit program, Yep. right? And so people who have the iFit program and train for the Boston Marathon can see me the whole way <laughs> through the marathon running because I was with her when she was running with her crew and she was adorable. She's like in bright purple. So if you have the iFit and you haven't gone to that program, she's in bright purple, fully made up, beautiful, like braided blonde hair, like full makeup, earrings, the whole night. And she ran the marathon. Wow. And and there I was. You could see us like jockeying back and forth. <laughs> and so it's kind of funny to see because I knew she was taping something, but I had no idea that it was going to become 
<laughs> Any particular challenges running seven months later, seven winter months later, essentially? You don't um, get the same type yeah, of training the schedule. Yeah, the challenge is that it's hard to get motivated. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's uh, yes, it's it's actually interesting because it's um, it, it's a couple things that are great. One is that you know you stay in shape from the last time. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to run it just because the downside of it is when you're doing charity work and you have to go back and ask people for money again. Yeah. Um, so hence the incentive programs that I keep coming up with. And my dear friend, Kristen actually came up with this wonderful one that I came to with Peloton. Um, so it wasn't even my idea, but she wanted to refresh me so that I didn't feel like, Oh, this is a lot of work. Cause it is. Yep. Um, and the pandemic has been hard because people are giving, but they're not giving, giving yep. like they usually do. And so, um, and I feel guilty. I don't know if I feel guilty, but I feel, I don't feel comfortable always going right. to someone saying, by the way, I know that I just asked you eight months ago for blah, blah, blah. But, you know, here's the thing. So I figured with the incentive. Yeah. But in terms of training, um, the training came up on me quick because the past couple months has been really busy, as you know, for me and doing, you know, variety of projects in my, in my line of work, um, between the human baton and, mm -hmm. um, sports teams that I'm working with and then my clients and then Carol Baskin and yeah. <laughs> et cetera. Uh, yeah. So all of a sudden I'm seven weeks out going, Ooh, I need to up it a little bit in my training, which, you know, it is what it is. And uh, just some other things. That get but it's going to be but... hard to motivate yourself in the middle of the winter to up your training when it's basically treadmill work. I'm imagining it's, you're not outside. Well, so I have not. Yeah, I, I have trained outside a little bit because we've had some 60 and 70 degree days. So I, I did get out and yeah, do two. it then. Um, <laughs> and then I, as you heard me this morning coming in, bitching and moaning this morning about my ankle having this little crick in it or yep. something that keeps getting hitched the past two days for some reason i'm not able to fully run on it i don't know why i rolled it i've done whatever yeah. i've rolled it out and done everything uh, who knows it could be because i'm sitting too long hmm. hazard of my job so i'm trying now to stand up more which isn't we'll see what happens but in the next week i will be a running fiend don't you worry <laughs> so i'll be right on track because when i'm off next week it will be running galore and i think the group of people i'm with i we're on a text together we're we're going on a cruise so right so and it's the not much running going on there no well there will be for me because <laughs> this is where like yeah. i love running when you port i love running and so of course i don't have anyone to run with and so i probably won't run in the port because it's going to be in mexico yeah so can't do that but yeah, not a good i love I love running on the decks because it's really nice, especially when you're out at sea, but I will get all my time in, but it's, I feel bad because everyone in the group chat of these women, they're all like, we're going to get our party on. And they're sending pictures of like food and cake. And I'm like, yeah, I won't be doing that because <laughs> <laughs> one, I don't do that, but also I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to run. And everyone's like, I'm going to eat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just not in my wheelhouse. Yeah. So is that your trip next week? Yes. Oh. Yes. I leave Friday. That's why you can't get a hold of me. My daughter's going to Mexico too. Oh, I have I have two friends down there right now on on a ship, and they were texting me from the ship yesterday to ask me to help their child who's in desperate need of assistance. Oh God! 
And so, your scheduling was perfect because I have to take her to the airport next Wednesday morning. So oh, I was well, very relieved when I'm not doing a show. My schedule could conveniently help you out for your daughter. Tell her that, you know, she should thank me. There's no reason to take that attitude. <laughs> Worked out for everybody. <laughs> yes. Oh, you oh, remember you're fired today, so don't yeah, be fresh. Yeah, so um anyway, so going back to the training. So training, I, I mean, I'm doing the same kind of mindset training, but I'm I'm gonna just up it a, a little bit more because I'm going to have some nice weather to be able to do it in here. And then I know that when I come back, we're going to be mid-March. And usually by mid-March, the weather starts getting a little bit nicer. So I have missed outside the frigid, freezing, awful, terrible weather. And by then, hopefully I will. And the snow doesn't bother me. It's the freezing temperatures yeah. that bother me. The, my lungs don't like the freezing cold. And I don't like rain ever since I, as you know, yep. I do not like running in the rain ever since the marathon that I wanted to quit in. Because it almost drowned me. <laughs> so I'm not a big fan of rain. So whenever John says, let's go out for a run and it's raining, I'm like, no. I'd rather go run on a treadmill for three hours than go in the rain. Hmm. I will run in the rain on the day of the Boston Marathon because it is the Boston Marathon. And people ask me, would you run in any other marathon if it was raining like that? And I said, probably not. Yeah. I would quit. I wouldn't quit. I wouldn't just wouldn't start. I'd be like, forget it. I'll just defer to next year. Yep which is what I would do because mm -hmm. I just don't like running in the rain anymore. Well, hopefully we'll get good weather. <sighs> There's nothing more fun than riding in, in the bus into Hopkinton and it's pouring out. Yeah. It's horrific because it's so disheartening. It's early April. Often you get like three different weather, pa weather patterns during the race. Yeah. Well, usually by the time, usually, for, well, me, if I'm running it, I'm, it's raining. Yep. I have had one, I'll call it one and a half of them. Of This will be my eighth in a row. I've had one and a half races of the Boston Marathon where it hasn't been raining or sleeting or snowing or pelting me in the head. <laughs> right? Yep. So anyway, it's fun. People go, why do you do it? Because it's fun. <laughs> it's endurance. It's like there's nothing like it. So much fun. It's a there's, runner's thing, yeah. There's nothing better than the Boston Marathon. So if someone has never done even a 5K, I can't describe it, but there is something so amazing about getting to the last two tenths of a mile and turning the corner on on Boylston in Boston. And it's just, if you've never been to Boston, it's just a long street down like the center of Boston. Yep. And it's beautiful and it's got restaurants and beautiful hotels and the streets are lined with hundreds Lots of, of people, yeah. people and thousands of people and it's screaming and you can hear them coming for a mile and at least a mile and you turn and it's just like, I can create the feeling in me right now, <laughs> like coming up to it. Yeah. It's also like death because when you turn the corner the day before and you walk down and it's like, Oh, it's right there. But on that last two tenths yeah. of a mile on the day of the race, it's like, wow, that's a really long way away. <laughs> Yeah, really? Is that how it feels? Because I always wondered whether you get a little spike of adrenaline. You, you get there. a spike of adrenaline, yeah. but it feels like it never is coming to the end. You're like, God, it felt so much closer yesterday <laughs> when I was walking down the yeah. middle of the street. So, but it's just, you know, and I I always run down the center because um, people pick, we all have our little rituals. So I go straight in. They have blue lines that go through the Boston Marathon route that are, that show you where to go. Mm -hmm. But these blue lines come around the corner. I stay right in the middle. So I get my straight down the shoot shot so yeah it's gonna be a pretty good moment it's awesome yeah. there's nothing i mean there's even if i'm even if i'm dying and crawling it's there's <laughs> nothing better it's it's just great because it doesn't matter because you just you did the boston marathon yep even if you're just crawling it and there's a lot of people crawling it yeah 
So I've seen I, it, yeah. I always just pray I'm not crawling. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, last year with my 16 mile, my foot dropped. It was like, oh man, there goes my foot. Yep. So we'll see. I have three brand new pairs of sneakers this year that I've just started breaking in seven, with seven weeks out. So that I, I was going to say, you'd never wear a brand new pair for the uh -uh, race, right? You got to break right. them in. Yeah. I just got three brand new pair and I'm equally running them so that I don't come to that day and have the issue that I had last time. Hopefully. If you get three pairs of the same sneakers, yep. are they all the same? Yep. Yeah. All the same. So it's not like you pick one out. Oh, I like this pair better than the others. No, I stick to, I'm a Nike girl. I stick to my Nikes. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, my favorite pair of Nikes was discontinued a few years back, and that messed up my stride. So I've had to reconfigure around it, but I'm still a Nike girl. So I have found the next best Nike shoe to for me, but it, they, I go through them very quickly because every three, 400 miles, I'm right through the bottom of them because I run so hard on them. Hmm. So, yeah, so I have three new pair in the shoot ready to go so, so that they have good tread on them. So I don't have ankle issues, which may be why I have an ankle issue today. It's funny because I remember buying skates and shopping around for someone who would have the most pairs of the skate I wanted so I could just try them all on. Because for some reason, for me, I like that pair. I don't like that pair. I want that pair. It, right. So it's like a half day of trying on skates. And old people are like, oh, try this one on. Try this yeah. one on. You know, because so, so we'll talk about sports and shoes for a second here. Like your your athletic gear is it's not just anything. You just can't just go out and just do anything. It's very specific to you as the person. So whether it's skates or sneakers or certain type of like athletic wear, your shorts, your top, your whatever. It's so specific to the person. And and people are like, oh, here, try these Asics. Uh, Asics for me are way too heavy or Brooks way too heavy for me. I, I've done them, you know, the the ufus nope they're all just too something for me yeah and but i see people wearing whatever and they're like oh these are the best it's like for you yep so whether you're pronator whether you have hip issues whether you have a short stride long stride you know people wear you know different types of shorts i can't wear anything that has anything that flows there's no flow everything has to be <laughs> straight how much straight. of that is in your head though Huh? How much of that is in your head? Oh, it's all. Um, well, I would say in my head, it's all in my head because yeah. it's just a ritual that's become like it has to be a certain way. Like I'm still wearing the same pair of socks that I wore the very first Boston Marathon that I wear every year. Same type of sock or same pair of socks? Same pair. Good Lord. I just don't wear them all year. I just use them on the day. Of the They're marathon. just marathon socks? Uh -huh. Wow. Uh -huh. So and it's just the one. It's just the one pair. You have a ritual? Getting, do you have rituals getting oh, dressed, yeah. things like that? Yeah. Oh yeah. <clears throat> I have rituals um that start they ha I mean I have rituals in training, but I have rituals that will start in the next couple weeks, like mid-March, that will start getting me mind ready yeah. to go in. And then I have so we go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then the race is on Monday. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday I have very specific day-to-day -day rituals of what I do, how in timing and everything. Yep. Mm-hmm. All sports have it, but hockey players are particularly big on rituals. Hockey, gymnasts, seriously. Gymnasts, yeah. Swimmers, baseball yeah. players, football players. I've had a, I mean, I, football players are sort of a hit or miss. It just depends on, I think, the, the position. Yep. That's, you know, seriously. <laughs> no, you're right. I'm I mean, laughing because really, you're right. It's really based on the yep. position. And like when I'm thinking of all the athletes I work with, yep. football players, you have some that don't do have any rituals and they just go out in the field and play versus there's very like Tom Brady, you know, anyone that's quarterback has rituals. Yep. So if you um, want to put a hockey player in your office, 
Make yes. them put their left skate on first yes. if they're a right skate person. Mm -hmm. I mean, it'll just screw them up. Just can't yeah. happen. Or the, the way they put on the glove, the way that they put on yeah. their pads. Absolutely. And for sport, heavy equipment sports like that and football, that whole process of getting to the clubhouse or locker room and starting to dress is a whole mental experience. It's, yes. It's getting off the street and getting onto the ice. Right. Well, you're yeah. you're switching. Yeah. You're doing that. You're doing that. I'm switching over from home life to work life. Right. Or work life to home life. So it's it's the switch over. Just kind of, I always, it like I say, it's the same thing in real life of yep. like civilians. It's, it's when you leave work, you're going home, you're turning it off and then you're turning on your home life. So you have to have those switches in your head so that you have the time to get your mentally focused self there for what you're supposed to be there for versus, you know, yep. whatever else. Speaking of sports, non-sports you know? people like the old me. I love the old meme. Some people have never played on team sports and it, it shows. Yeah. And it's like, people don't get that. Right. Like I, I, oftentimes I need 10 minutes to get going. I, yes. I just need 10 minutes with my head in the space. Exactly. To get going. And a lot of people, if you haven't pay, played team sports, you don't understand that concept. Well, or if you haven't ever played golf, <laughs> <laughs> I, you, you, when you were saying that, like as an aside, so I'm a golfer, as you know, and I don't tell people, but people now know this, obviously, but I don't tell people what I do when I golf, if yeah. I'm with new people, because do you know what happens? They start, I don't know. They start asking, asking you for advice and they start asking me how, yep. They start yeah. asking me advice on golf, how to play better. And what do you think happens to my game? <laughs> it goes to hell. Yeah. <laughs> right out the window. Yep. So we have, John and I have a running joke that we, we do this on vacation too, that like oftentimes, cause he's notorious for telling people what I do. Thanks, John. <laughs> Especially like on a pool deck somewhere. And then I'm like trying to relax yeah. and someone's like, can you look at my foot? I'm like, I'm one, not that kind of doctor. And yeah. two, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I, it, it's kind of funny. It, it's kind of, well, so I'll just be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm a stripper. <laughs> <laughs> and I usually get a look like, oh, well, so-and-so said, and I'm like, yeah. I, I'm yeah, I don't know where that came from. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, they're ashamed of me. So, they, <laughs> so they just so they say I'm a doctor. So yep, I'm. A, is there a more mental game than golf? Men, golf's a golf is all mental. mental. I mean, yeah. it's certainly skill. I mean, you know, I have a I have a great swing coach that I've had for years, Barry Bruce, yep. um, here in Massachusetts, and he's he's a superstar um, golfer and former golfer. You know, and now he coaches and whatever. But um, oh, it's he and I. That's have a thought. Many con yeah. conversations about how mentally. You know, it's the, it's the five inches between the two ears that make the sport because, and, and it applies to any sport, but golf is just the epitome of, of a psychological sport. Golf, I mean, a psychological is, game. golf is a thoughts become things sport yes. and it happens immediately. Right. And you, well, cause you bring one of the biggest things I, cause I have people on the PGA and the LPGA tour that I work with yep. and they bring the, one of the biggest things I work on is not bringing the last shot with them to the next yep. shot or the next hole yeah. or whatever, or getting to um getting the yips at the end yeah you know big tournaments or right you know they're getting ready to putt and, and i'm like oh and i can tell i've done it so many times now with people that i can tell if they're going to yip yep. just because of what i can watch their body and their face and i can and if i'm training them and i'm with them by themselves i can usually back them away but in a tournament you can't talk to them <laughs> you can't be like no don't do it Stop! Yipping, you, yipping is coming. Do you inhale or exhale on your backswing? Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
Um, but I remember I was fighting slice my whole playing days in golf. And but there'd be a place where there'd be woods on the left or there'd be water on the left. And you say, don't pull it left. And sure as hell cured my slice. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yep. Because <laughs> you because you yeah, you became a hooker. Yeah. <laughs> became a hooker. But well, it's like thoughts become you, you things. You got to be funny. a hooker than a slicer. Seriously. Yeah. But I could see it, that. But it's because it comes off the heel on the slice. Yep. And then the hook is off the toe. Yeah, but you don't want to go into the woods of the lake and on the left when you're yes. playing a slice. Well, I have to say that I have I do my own psychological work because there is a particular there's a wonderful um, golf course here that I it's one of my two home courses, and for years the running joke with everyone I play with is, oh, here comes the water, here yes. goes Kim's ball. <laughs> because notoriously i could not get it over the water i would just be like i'd walk up and just throw a ball in the water and i'd be like i'll see you on the other side yeah there you go because <laughs> it's just a waste of it i just i'd take a junk ball and be like i'll just drop on the other side yep because mentally i would just be like i'm gonna just it's gonna go in and there's no reason because it's a shorter distance over this water talk about mental shorter distance going over this little particular area of water than any of the shots i would ever make anyway that would clear like a million yep. miles but I see this like valley of pond. <laughs> it literally goes, come to me, bring me that ball. So I just don't bother. I just go right over it. But now. Far corner 17. You what? Far corner no. 17. Okay. No. Right. Yeah. Mm -mm. <laughs> no, but I know that hole. Yeah. That, that hole doesn't bother me. Yeah. For some reason, that hole is not an issue. This particular one, it's, 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 it's a Bill Ricker country club. Okay. Yeah. We're very Bruce taught me how to play i see and i it's a killer hole for me it's awful is it around a brook is it bill ricka it is bill ricka so this particular hole is a par three mm -hmm. <laughs> it, can, it very well could become a snowman for me on any given day i try not to have it because i try to focus and do my own work <laughs> but um it is, and I will. I will actually back myself up to the expert tees just to get enough, <laughs> <laughs> because I need enough room yeah. to get over. Because I'm hoping that because that's how long I can shoot. I can yeah. shoot the the length. It's not a problem. But it's this in the depth of summer. It's this very tight, treed in brook pond mess underneath that you have to get up and over. And for some reason, I just, it's like my head goes right to the, I don't know. It's just. It's a good example of how we cycle and it, it applies everywhere. Yeah. How we cycle in specific situations or we cycle from our youth and, you know, childhood trauma and things like that. It's just like thoughts get in your head it, it, well, and, and you're battling them all the time. And oh, well, so, and I, I, like, I try to practice what I preach. So I have no problem telling people that here I, here I am as an athlete and I have this issue on this whole and I, well, the other thing is the fact that I'm going to throw John under the bus. John talks to me the entire time I'm playing and he will talk to me when I'm teeing. Okay. Oh, <laughs> he starts speaking usually right when I'm about to hit. So I have actually gotten really good at stopping my swing. So I actually teach people that you typically you can't, you know, as a metaphor of thinking cognitive behavioral, you can't stop your swing. Once you got to the top of the swing, it's really hard to stop it coming down. Yeah, I actually can stop a swing in the middle because I've been trained now because he starts talking typically. In the middle of your swing? In the middle of my swing. He'll, he, he's just talking all the time. 
you've met John. Yeah. Well, so yeah. he's talking all the time. So all of a sudden it'll be quiet. So I'll take my moment because it's quiet. And then I'll go <laughs> and inevitably he'll be like, anyway, and he'll be <laughs> talking to someone. Does he like, need a couple strokes against you? Is that why he talks oh, there in the middle of your just, stream? And, and I usually <laughs> turn and he'll be like, He's going to kill me. And so I often have to pre-warn him coming up to that hole, which also probably doesn't go into helping me not get over that. Right. Please don't talk during my shot. Yeah. But it's just a mess. Yeah. Nonetheless. Just talk yourself into all this stuff. And we do it on day to day. Exactly. You know, every In every situation, we're talking ourselves into stuff. That you know, doesn't necessarily have that to be. problem, though, with yeah. gymnastics. Yeah. Well, you, you find safety areas where you feel confident and where... You know, well, because it was my it was my sport, so I don't have that issue there. Um, I remember thinking for a long time, in you know, in my midlife, it's like I had all these concepts in sports. Why can't I apply them to real life? You know, because you learn a you part of training is learning a healthy mental attitude. Hopefully, well, on that note, right? So two things: healthy healthy mental attitude. Going into like the last three weeks, we've been talking about codependency and narcissism, right? And how does sport relate? Well, sport, if you have a good, if you have a good sportsman mindset and you have a good mental toughness attitude, you, you tend to stay away from feeling codependent or becoming codependent or having that narcissistic issue, hopefully, because you don't end up with the inferiority complex that, that was my topic for today. Nice tie in, right? <laughs> the inferiority complex that really comes with feeling inadequate that comes from not having that mental mindset that goes to the applied life. So if you have missed out on like team sports or something that has the leadership skills or the structure to it, or you haven't had that exposure, you end up leaning towards that vulnerability area of, of having that happen. Right. So, um, and that meaning, you know, maybe not your best performances or maybe not being at the top of a game that you could have been essentially a superstar at because you don't have that applied skill because you don't know the skill because you have never been exposed to it. And if you have, it's been very, very minimally. So, you know, you come up with lots of. Usually if you excuses. have talent at a sport, you get there because you win small victories as you right. go. There's right. a particular move you make or you make a nice catch or, right. you know, well, you hit a long home run and then that's something that you just have to build off of. Right. Because, because um, I just wrote an article for the Human Baton for the month of March um, yesterday about how you get your, you know, you celebrate your wins because you, you're essentially chunking and breaking everything into small little goals that have tangibility that you accumulate and then you build on that give you mental toughness because it gets you into a mindset that yep. is constantly forward moving so that you're not doing, you know, you're not bringing that last slice to the next hole. You're not, you know running the play that you just did on the field into something else. You're not on the basketball court getting mad because someone else said something to you about how you played, whatever it is, you've able to adjust around it and get a different perspective. That's the same thing as life is you have something negative or toxic or something is, that isn't quite right. How do you then take it and then turn it? That's, that's how people get out of their funk. That's how you get yep. yourself to move is you take a perspective that you already have in your head speaking of like, you know, the narcissistic or the inferiority complex person and you move it by going, okay, what's realistic, rational, reasonable here to move around this particular issue. That doesn't mean you're, you're circumventing it with something. You're not lying to yourself. You're looking for what's the, the, the forward moving piece in this. Cause everything has a forward moving piece. It always drives me crazy when people say, I can't, I can't means you won't try. And so, I won't yep. try means I won't do. 
So you're like three steps behind if you're saying, I can't. There's no, I can't. And that, that was probably one of the best things. There's a lot of things I grew up with that I would say were not good. But there's a great thing I grew up with was there's no, I can't. Yeah. I can't means that's not good. I can, I can do anything. The problem is for a lot of people, and again, if you haven't played sports, the life gains <clears throat> aren't very quantifiable. They're kind right. of vague. I mean, you go, you go into the gym and you lift 10 more pounds, you know, you're doing a press with 10 more pounds. That's a gain. It's right. quantifiable. It's right there in front right. of you. It's like, yeah, I couldn't do that two weeks ago. Or I couldn't do that 10th rep right. or, you know, that's all right there. Or your speed is a little fast. So you make a catch, or you hit a ball. Yeah, I couldn't do that a week right. ago. You don't get those in life too often or, um, but when you see people who do though, it's kind of interesting. I remember I had a young friend and he was struggled a bit in school, struggled a bit socially. When he got up, he ended up working for a car rental company yep. and the car rental company loved him right? and started you know, promoting him and getting a job. And it's like, that was the first time in his life he felt successful and, and had that power for himself right. and just really ran with it. Right. You know? Right. And like to the point where, and it was kind of funny, we used to kid him about <laughs> it to the point where he loved living in that world. Because he, he, he cause he had, some he was a success. Yeah. Cause he got his confidence built and the inferiority, the feeling of inferiority, which is what it was yep. now went away in that context because he didn't feel like he had to hide himself or feel ashamed or guilty or not enough. He actually flourished in that. And I remember a kid who was really young and he always loved hanging out with adults. And it was because he struggled at school. Right. He was coded dyslexic. Right. Late. Too right. late. And well, not too late, but well, later, later than later, later than, than would have been ideal. Right. Right. But that that's why he always adults loved him. He was, you know, because he was smart kid, right. you know, very uh, jovial, very fun to be around. But in school, he was behind the pack a little bit. Right. You know, so then he got then. he So that in that that accumulated feeling of less thanness yep. stuck with that peer group instead of moving him forward. Whereas the adult world right. said, Oh, come on over. So that whole experience was tainted for him. It wasn't a pleasant experience. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's, so that's going to the past, you know, few shows that I've done is that that tainted experience is what drives people towards those directions of unhealthiness. Yep. You know, that, that, um, that's taking away your soul sucking, as you know, I call it, when people get soul sucked from their peers or their family or their whatever, their environments, they don't have a protective environment of some sort to move them forward or to feel like they could possibly still move forward. You end up with all these, you know, isms or disorders yep. or things that are pathological because they get in your way of your functioning in some way. So they, they, you know, whether and those become more tenacious because it feeds your self-worth right. image. Right. Yeah, you know, I'm not enough. I'm not really good. You know, this is really what the world is. So it takes a lot of those small victories to start to overcome that. And and it takes a lot of small victories, but then it takes the awareness and acknowledgement that you have actually had small victories. And a lot of people don't give themselves credit for any of that because they look at it and go, "Oh, that's nothing." Yeah. Like that's that's right. that's just nothing. That's not a big deal. Like what that's, you know, everybody does that instead of looking at it for really wait a second that's actually a good thing and giving yourself credit for that people, you know, cause we're, we're also socialized into not being um, as braggadocious or being, you know, because that's considered, you know, not being humble. And I encourage people to, you, you can, you can be obnoxious, but then there's a way to not be obnoxious and be incredibly yeah. proud of what you've done and, and how you can be in the world without being 
a narcissist. Well, you're running into other people's problems because they don't pushes. like your success. Right. Well, right. Yeah. Right. And it, and it's, and it's, it's not because your success is bad. It's because it irritates them. It makes them feel. See, inferior. see you, we, you get it. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's not right. But, and, and then, and then that will hold people back. I have, I have so many examples of, of kids, especially with parents, you know, you think as a parent, even I've had this conversation yeah. about parents would want the best for their kids and want the next, you know, they want it to be better for their own children. So they'll say, oh yes, I want that. But at the same time on this underneath little yep. passive aggressiveness, they're holding their child back because the child is somehow superseding them in a way, or they're, you know, they're, they're having success, but the parent's ego can't handle that right. because it's bypassing them. Even though they're saying we want that, they don't. And more often than not, I see that over and over and over again about parents just getting in their kid's way yep. of, of true success, because it's, if they're not living you know, the parents living vicariously through them, like, oh, look at, uh, this is me. And they become one yeah. versus that's my child. And I want them to run with this and do great things. And you've got parents that do both, you know, one, yeah. you know, but I, I, because of the field I'm in, I'm not going to see all the healthy people. For the most right. part, I'm going to see the people that are going to have more of those problems. But And you have those with parents and athletics all the time. Well, that's, well, there's my frame of reference. It's just... Yeah brutal and sometimes it's one they glom on to the kid's success and right. sometimes it's the other they're resentful of the kid's success because they're a better athlete than they were mm -hmm. and then there are guys there are people who do it simultaneously they both glom on and resent it and and you see that a lot yeah because it's the it's the cognitive dissonance and and it's also people knowing that publicly in the social world that they don't want to look like they're taking away from their child but yet you know, so in public, you'll see people being like, well, isn't my kid great? And yeah. I think they're great and wonderful. And they're, but behind closed doors, what I'll get is people saying, you know, kids or yeah. whatever saying like, they beat me down. Yeah. You screwed up that play. Right. Yeah. Like, so out in public, they look like the perfect family, but you know, I can, I can relate. <laughs> I can relate to my sport years in that, like on the outside, so, everything was wonderful, it, but on the inside, not so much. It get back. It gets back to the theme of taking control of your own outcomes yes. a little bit more because right. the more dependent you are on outside reactions, the less control you have over your self-image and your right your general mental being. Right, and and so and and that's what creates an inferiority complex because if you don't have that that core control, and how the question I get asked all the time is how do you get a seven and eight and nine ten year old to have that core control when you've got outside forces pulling at the soul yep. of taking that away. It's so hard. That's why it's, you know, you have to have protective factors and resilient people, other people in the, the kid's life. You know, if we're talking kids and if we're talking adults, well, we've already gotten, but if we've got an adult sitting in front of us with, you know, narcissism, codependency and an inferiority complex, we, that's a lot of extra work because that's a person has to be self-aware to be able to unravel what, the mess that has been created around them and then actually not feel guilty, you know, about, I just had this conversation with a client yesterday about like family mm -hmm. um, in this one instance, family being, you know, well, I feel if I'm successful, then I'm abandoning my family somehow because they, you know, they want me to be successful, but you know, that I don't want to hurt their feelings. Wow. And, and I'm like, yeah, but but there's not a lot of support. It's a lot of beating down. And, and this is a person in their thirties and, and just that beating down, beating down, beating down. And, and this person was saying like, 
but they're but they're my mother they're my father they're my brother they're my sister and and but there's a way to handle that too and it's i don't know if detachment is the right word but there's a way to recognize that's my mother but by the same token i'm not going to let her sabotage my day-to-day mental health so there's a so there's a there's a process i take people through about how to detach um, you can love you can love someone from a distance, mm-hmm. and you can still love them. I tell all my clients that are in these situations, like you can you can love whoever, but from a distance, and you can love them without handing them a knife. <laughs> yes, yeah. that or yes, or a gun, yeah, um, or whichever said weapon, yeah. Um, but it's given giving yourself the permission to just because someone has the title of parent. I think I've said this to you before. Just because someone has the title of parent does not give them the automatic earned right to treat you a certain way. Right. And that's what gets in the way of a lot of like my clients' um, psyches about like how they are in the world. Even adults in their fifties having the same, like, well, that's you know, that's my mom, or you know, or they come in and they say, I feel bad if I like dis. It's like I'm distancing because. Okay, you can do that. You give yourself permission to not have to be around toxic. Just because someone is is you know, they're your father, they're your mother. You still have to earn a right to have the respect given to you. You don't just get it by proxy. And that's a hard concept for people because we're trained into, you're supposed to respect, but there's a mutuality and a reciprocity of respect because you're human beings. And just because you were born by someone doesn't then make you less than to them, which sets up that whole inferiority complex for some people that, well, I, you owe me because you're my child, so you should take care of me kind of attitude. And that's but not that's not healthy. Their attitude towards the relationship is going to be what it is. Right. But to be bothered by it, to be crippled by it, to be held back by it, you have to accept it as right. truth. Right. And that's the part you can, because you can deal with that type of attitude. If Well, that's just, that's just my father. Or that's just my mother. It's just the way they are and the way they think. It's not true. Right. And, and that's then you handle it a different way when you live in that world as opposed to I deserve that or right. or they deserve me to respect them more. Or they deserve to be able to talk to me like that. And, it, and it's it's more it's it's not it's not as common to have the person or people be able to do the oh, that's just how they are. And it's OK. It doesn't impact me more more often than not in life. And that's why they write all these self-help books about how yeah. to, on, you know, trauma bonds from families. Right. Is that more often than not, it's. I feel so guilty for going against what would be expected of me, even though I know it's terrible and unhealthy and it makes me feel terrible or that when I'm with these people, I have to take a month away from them to be able to recoup my brain or whatever it is. Um, I have, I have a client right now. She she goes, she cycles in and out. She's like, she, she takes a big long separation and then she, and I was warned. I'm like, she's like, I'm going to go spend blah, blah, blah amount of time. And, and, you know, and she does. And then inevitably she comes and she's like, I should have listened to you. <laughs> and, and it's not about listening to me. It's just about the, the, the cyclical nature of the toxic environment of narcissism and codependency, which is usually what it is of the relationship is that after you're in it a while and you think it's going to change, you become, I call it being a hopeaholic. Yeah. You hope that somehow, someday, this will change, that they'll love you the way you deserve, that they'll give you what you need. That, that But no. So the hopeaholicness yeah. of you has to be able to say, I have to let go of the hope 
which is very sad because it's a morning grieving process. I have to let go of the hope this person's ever going to change because people only change if they want to or if they see that there's a problem. If you're the one that sees the problem and they don't see the problem, they, you got to figure out how to manage that. And, and, and that's, you know, so you don't end up feeling less than. Well, that's the base. Oftentimes that's the basic mental health struggle. It's like, yeah. I need to change that. You can't right. change that. Change your, change your receptors to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, oh, you go over and visit your mother. You're going to get what you get. It is what it is. None of it's true. It's just her and her view on life. And then you walk out and you'd be happy. Right. You can do that. Right. But unless you well, well, you can if you have a good um, a good narrative cognitive behaviorally to say that's not me. So it's I don't need you to need me to need you. Right. Yep. So taking away from that, you know, because you have I. I must, it must be a run because of the shows I've been doing. Cause I've been hearing a lot about this and people are listening, but yep. I've had so many people lately be like my, my parent or my person who was giving me these issues with my life will say things like, I'm not being mean. I'm just telling you the truth, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or I'm not yelling. I'm just telling you the facts. It's, it's okay. Who's saying this? It's them so to you? A parent or, oh, or a, parent, yeah. a spouse or it, yeah. So they couch it in like, well, I, it may hurt you, but I, you know, I'm about to tell you something, and it may upset you. And I always tell people, if someone tells you they're about to tell you something <laughs> and it may upset you, you probably want to say to them, you shouldn't tell me. Then yeah, it's it, that should be your cue to not tell me. But people feel compelled, and usually keeping in that theme of the narcissist, codependent, inferior person, feeling person, they're the ones that are going to say to you, like, by the way, I'm about to unload on you everything <laughs> that I don't like about myself. And it's going to yep. be, it's going to be fact, but I'm going to couch it in this really nice way. I'm not going to yell at you about it. And it's going to hurt your feelings because I feel really crappy about my life today. Yep. And I'm going to tear you down, emotionally annihilate you. And I'm going to smile about it and say, that felt good. And then hope you survive. Want me to refresh your tea first? Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. And and so, and that's a, such a very common experience for many people. Not but all, but many. Isn't the definition of codependency that you need the other person for your self-image? Yes. So being able to Part detach from that need is right. what's important here. And right. so no matter what your mother tells you, right? go over to you, just walk away and then you, your life is... Yeah, you know, it's okay. Uh -huh. And that's so. But she doesn't. You don't have to change her. You don't have to talk her out of it. You just right, have to. You can't. It, it is what it is. You have to, to build up your build. resiliency to yeah. not have to worry about changing your parent or your right. friend or your or even you know friend or your brother or your sister, whoever it is. Right. And we always pick on moms because moms are always you know psychologically the ones. But well, it's yeah. anybody. You know, even your spouse. It's like enough is enough. You you know. Just you're not going to unload on me, and I'm going to be strong enough now. But the problem, the problem is where I see, because I don't get people with the resiliency coming in. I help build them into the resiliency. I get them from when they're at the, they're yeah. crumbled because they've been crushed by this dynamic, and so we build it up to get to a point over years to get them strong enough to be able to say, "It that's not me, it's you." Yeah. But not out loud because then they're emotionally annihilating that person back and they can't handle it. But are you talking about having that discussion? You don't get to do that to me because that feels like changing them and changing um, their relationship. And at so a certain you point, you just got to say, so no. you don't. So if you're a person on the receiving end that feels emotionally annihilated by someone, you don't have to have that conversation with the person because it's not going to change them. Right. But you have to have that internal conversation with yourself to the point where you know and believe 
that no matter what you do, say, whatever, it doesn't matter because yep. it's not going to change anything. But you can have good dialogue and narrative with someone to advocate for yourself, even though there might not be a change, because all that matters is not suppressing and oppressing your feelings down. It's just a matter of being able to say, I don't like the way that you just said that and how that made me feel. Yeah. Now you might not get a good response, but if you've got good resiliency and your inferiority piece is dropped off and you're feeling strong, the response back isn't going to matter because you've just gotten what you needed to say out. Yeah. And you've not violated the boundaries emotionally to the other person because all you said was that didn't feel good. And what are they going to say? Yeah. Well, no. And they could because many people will say, they'll tell you how you feel. Yeah. You don't feel that way. Well, they're going to they're gonna pile told on. told you you feel that way. They're going to pile on because right. you don't feel good because you're underdeveloped adolescent title. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Find a way to pile on to it because that's just the nature of the relationship, the nature of their dynamic, the nature of who they are. What's well, a coping strategy? So yep. I, I, it's a coping strategy for that person who's in that. I'll call it the power differential, right? Like a parenting role. It's the coping strategy of that person to keep you in check, to hold you, to control you so that you don't go outside of their comfort zone and do something that would challenge their world. Right. And that's huge because it goes to that codependency, narcissistic feed that leads to inferiority of the, of the person who they're, they're feeding essentially. Mm -hmm. And and we have a we have a huge social dynamic of that. In in take parenting out of it. Look at look at if you watch TikTok. <laughs> if you watch TikTok, yeah, I'm not gonna pick on TikTok because I I go down that shoot sometimes. Now I'm like oh, it's awful. I put up little kitty things. It's like kitty yeah. photos. But if you watch TikTok or you watch Instagram, a lot of the time, you see the same dynamic is there because if you my my feeds are very positive. But I have people come in and tell me about some of their feeds. I'm like, what are you watching that is pulling for that stuff? And yeah. I have one client that we have to go through at least two or three TikToks that she's seen, listened to. I have to then watch to be able to talk her off the mental yucky of it because yeah. she's bought into because it feeds the core belief system that she was trained to have over her 30, first 30 years off of TikTok. See, this is so a, she's having a relationship with these random nobody people yeah. that she doesn't know that have a million views, but then she's bought into it. I'm like that 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 has no basis of any. Merit. This is difficult for me because and my kids are rolling their eyes somewhere because I used to talk to them about unnecessary hard. Yeah, there's plenty of necessary hard in life. Yep. You don't have to go looking for it. Exactly. And people who go looking for it, like for from strangers on TikTok. Right. You have enough people in your life who will put you down. Why right. do you have to go searching for people? Exactly. Yeah. And then get in fights about it. And get on in TikTok. fights on it. Yeah. Because yeah. half of TikTok is people responding to other people yipping at each other for the thing that they posted and then fighting on TikTok about it. Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, that's Which something I've I had to pull myself out of. I just like watching kitties. <clears throat> yeah. And deer <laughs> and snowy owls. Well, I've pulled myself out of rainbows. that. <clears throat> I've pulled myself out of that because. Again, it's it's this struggling with trying to change things you have no control over. Exactly. And you can't do it. Right. And you waste a lot of time and mental energy. And at this point in my life, I've become very protective of my mental energy. Yes. Why would I spend time trying to talk this guy into something when I know it's not going to work? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I think that's such a maybe the good mantra of the week about, you know, going into March now is that, you know, why waste your mental energy on those things be very stingy about your mental energy yeah 
Because yeah. again, there's enough stuff pulling at you that's legitimate that you need to deal with. You don't have to go looking for it on social media. You don't have to go looking for it in the news. You don't have to, I mean, why are we even talking about some guy in California on a TikTok? A Florida man. A Florida man. A no, Florida, those are fun. A, a Florida man. I, I don't find that distressing at all. Yeah. No, not being murdered. Florida but, man. Yeah. Um, well, and, and that's, but so there's a site that that is a psychological phenomenon though, that people are drawn to the negativity because it feeds their cup because it makes them feel better about their plate in life. So if it, if someone else has it worse, I'm okay. So it's a comparison and it's that social comparison point and it's takes you out of the cognitive dissonance of like, Oh, well, I'm actually okay. Yeah. I mean, so on one side of that, it actually works really great because on the concept of doing like support groups like AA and everyone has the universal shared experience and they go in and socially compared to a person coming in for their 24 hour chip versus 24 years, it works great, but that's in a positive social way. Right. Yeah. But in so many of the non-positive social ways, you've got it in the other way is like, Oh, well, you're way worse than me. So now I feel much better. So that's a good thing. And, and so it feeds the, it feeds the, um, the narcissism and the inferiority by falsely boostering it yeah. and making a person feel better about themselves temporarily. Cause they, cause usually people can't keep their cup filled on their own. Yeah. So people in that, those conditions don't keep their cup filled. See, that's a good skill to learn. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very, well, it's, right. a key, it's a key skill to learn. Yes. And, and, and I have a 70 odd year old man right now who says to me every week, why am I just doing this now? I'm like, cause you weren't ready until now mm -hmm. to do that. And he's learning to fill up his cup and, and not fill it in a negative way. Cause that's what he's been doing all of his life because he was taught through narcissistic upbringing and codependency that was heavy and, and the isms and having them and getting recovered and doing all these yep. things that in his late sixties, when he started, now he's in his seventies with me that now he's just now figuring out that, Oh, he was living the life he was modeled. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, and, and feeling regretful and I'm like, no regrets, no, no regrets. Cause you can't go back and you can't undo. So yeah, no, got to live. Do we have comments? Because I can't see anything on my screen. Oh uh, no, nothing for comments. Oh good. And it's time to wrap. Uh, you know what? You're still fired, and you'll get to wrap my show for me. <laughs> God, <laughs> unbelievable! I pay you too much. <laughs> okay, so, um, so narcissism, codependency, and all these other things and inferiority, don't do them. <laughs> um, you guys make sure that you um look online this week. Lou will post up about um getting some giveaway tickets for uh, the Peloton or the win of the money and uh supporting me for the run. And uh you guys have a good two weeks because I will not be here next week and I will be back sunnied and hopefully rested. <laughs>